Paradise people, welcome back to the podcast from our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I'm Bella Rooney, your host, and today we're chatting with Jane Hackinson. Okay. (laughs) DOE's research officer from the Terrestrial Resources Unit and Tim Austin, DOE's deputy director and overseer of marine and terrestrial research, of research, yeah, and conservation programs. Good morning, Jane and Tim. Thanks so much for coming in and taking time from your busy days to talk to us about the Coastal Bird Conservation Proposal Project. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I'm too chipper. I know you guys are so tired. You're like, oh, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, I'll put some energy into you this morning. Um, so you guys have both done so much and you both have so much experience in working in conservation, obviously, the, at the Department of Environment. Um, and we're here today to talk about the proposed seabird conservation plan. Before we get into that and its many parts, let's just start by getting to know you. So, Jane, let's start with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you found yourself now involved in this this proposal. Well, thank you so much for having us. I think it's really important to discuss this plan. I'm really happy to be here today. And um, I am a research officer with the Department of Environment. So I work in the Terrestrial Resources Unit, which means I do pretty much everything that's not marine. Okay. <laughs> so right. the, the department is, is historically a very marine-focused department, but mm-hmm. um, the newer um, parts of it includes the terrestrial environment. So I'm cool. a part of that. And I studied zoology back in the UK. I did a master's at Edinburgh University. I've been on island for like Gosh, almost 15 years, and I've worked with the department for almost 10, I think, mm-hmm. now. So, yes, that's a little bit about me. Cool. I guess it's my turn. It's yeah, your so, turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, I grew up in Cayman. I always wanted to do marine sciences and had the good fortune to have some parents that supported me to do that. So I went off to the UK and got a degree in marine biology and zoology and then mm-hmm. master's in oceanography and kept working cool. at a tropical marine research unit in at the University of York, which is kind of a a strange place to mm-hmm. be studying tropical marine sciences. <laughs> it seems a bit odd. <laughs> um, eventually came back to Cayman in 1995, and I've been with the Department of Environment ever since. Um, so my background is primarily in the marine sciences, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, it kind of you know progressed through. I have much more of a desk job now, looking after the, the research and assessment section, and other people go out and, and do the exciting the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I push the paper around the desk these days. But yeah, <laughs> been with the department for like 25 years doing this, so a lot yeah. as, as, as experienced a lot during that time. And I guess seabirds are considered part of the marine environment, right? This is actually perfect. I was just set thinking yeah. about it because they are, you know, cross ecosystem mm-hmm. animals, so they do live off the land and the sea. So. Yeah, they're perfect little little hybrids. Perfect, exactly. <laughs> so, let's get into this. Then the proposed seabird conservation plan, it aims to protect six species of native ne- native nesting seabirds across the Cayman Islands. So that's our brown boobies, our red-footed boobies, magnificent freight birds, forget birds, our white-tailed tropical birds, our least terns, our bridal, bridal, yeah, bridal terns. Can you give us the 101 on coastal birds? Why are all of these so important to our ecosystems and our heritage here in Cayman? How long have you got? Oh my gosh, well, (laughs) an hour. Good point, because they're also different. Well, yeah, so seabirds, I think maybe we should start with what is a seabird, right? Sure, yeah. That might be, you know, a a good place to start, because people usually um, know that a ching ching or a banana quid is not necessarily mm-hmm. a seabird, but is an egret a seabird or is a, a heron a seabird? Mm. The answer is that they are not. So I think there are, yeah, there are 359 species of seabird in the world. Okay. And it is like the fastest declining group of birds in the world. Oh. Because, of course, we can talk about the threats later on, but they face threats both 
on the ocean, but mm -hmm. also on land. So they get sort of a double whammy of all the issues that we have, including climate change, of course. Um, so out of these 359 species, we have six that breed in significant numbers in the Cayman Islands. Um, that is not including the brown pelican that nested <laughs> recently in Malportas Pond. So obviously, um, this is uh, these are the big colonies that have been here for all of these years um, and that we're trying to protect. And the reason is that seabirds are just intrinsically important to ocean health, to um, terrestrial um, ecosystems, because they are, as we touched on earlier, kind of the only species that traverses the ecosystems in that way, and they transport nutrients mm. from the open ocean, the pelagic oceans, and the coastal um, environments into the terrestrial environments. They are, they are pretty much like a flagship species, as you, if you will, on uh, what is a healthy uh, ocean. And be the reason um, is that they're much easier to study time, time mm. and again than compared to everything that lives in the ocean because they right. are visible. So things like you can put GPS trackers on them and when they rest on the ocean surface, they will be uh, opportunistic drifters. We mm. can learn about currents. We can learn about fish stock. We, can, we know culturally that these birds' populations have been extremely important for nutrients, both when eggs were harvested, when the first colonizers came to the island, but also in terms of um, leading fishermen to where the fish are. You know, everyone will know that when you see the frigate birds, you know, something is going on in yes. the ocean, um, but also leading sailors back to land. Mm -hmm. So that has been a, a big part culturally and historically. Mm -hmm. So these seabirds have a long-standing history with people. And, you know, it's really been a one-way system, us exploiting mm -hmm. them, as it were. So it, it really is our duty to protect them. They were here way before us. Um, so why shouldn't we, um, you know, do our bit to protect them? Especially since they're, we're just <laughs> getting rid of them currently, just not helping <laughs> them to survive and keep their duties well, to, to exactly. us if they do, right? Yeah. Right. So I guess on that, the current six species, um, how, what are the population sizes that we have or any of the data that we have on that we know are now they need our help? Yeah, so we have um, we have historic data, uh, mainly from Patricia Bradley in a book called Seabirds of the Caribbean. Cool. That's kind of um, one of the main sources of historic data. But of course, recently, since the Terrestrial Resources Unit came into effect, we've had a chance to look at some more current data, which unfortunately shows that pretty much all of our seabird species are in decline. Hmm. Um, but we, we can kind of tell that just by virtue hmm. of, you know, their the range is so so short or so small. Yeah. Um, and all of the seabirds that we have in the Cayman Islands are restricted to very few places now where they okay. where they still nest. Mm -hmm. um, so we the if we start on Little Cayman because it's kind of the most obvious. Um, most people know about the Booby Pond, mm -hmm. which is a, a Ramsar site and partly protected by the National Trust. And behind the Booby Pond, you'll know that there's a lot of birds going on there. Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole nesting frenzy, and that's ba huh. basically the frigate birds and the red-footed boobies. And their populations um, are in decline, but they're still by far the most numerous nesting seabirds that we have here. So in 2018, our last count uh, was around 1,000 frigate birds and around 5,000 boobies. Okay. And these are numbers, we can talk more if you want later about mm -hmm. how we get to these numbers, because mm -hmm, that's actually mm -hmm. quite, quite cool too, because yep. it's very different. Um, but on Cayman Brack, unfortunately, we're down to less than 50 pairs of uh, brack, um, brown boobies. Less than 50? Less than 50 pairs. And <gasps> every year we see adults and chicks being predated on by mm -hmm. invasive mammals, especially mm -hmm. cats, but mm -hmm. rats as well. 
and um, and it's just uh, it's, it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. So just in the few years that I've been involved, I've seen them um, just really go downhill. So mm-hmm. that's that's a very scary thing to watch as a, a natural resource manager. Yeah. Um, and then we have the white-tailed tropic bird. So the white-tailed tropic bird nests on Cayman Brack and Grand Cayman. Um, and it does so in the sheer cl- uh, cliff faces, so ah. on the side of the cliffs, but also slightly inland um, from the bluff sides. So on Cayman Brack, let me see here what we got. The, the last couple of counts have had uh, around 30 to 35 nests on Cayman Brack, <gasps> which, yeah, it doesn't sound no, like a lot, and, and it really cool. isn't. Um, but it's even worse on Grand Cayman because, as you know, we don't have a lot of bluff no. on Grand Cayman. And the only place that they really do nest is ar- around the Pedros and James That's what area. I was thinking. That must yeah, be the only area, just right? On both sides of that. Um, and there's between 5 to 15 pairs mm, left. Wow. Yeah, and obviously not all of them are successful either because as we encroach on that bluff, we bring rats and, and other invasive species mm-hmm. with us and, mm-hmm. of course... When they're just set there, the mm-hmm. eggs, you know, they're really, really vulnerable mm. to, to predation. Yeah. Um, and then that leaves us with the two tern species that we have, the bridled tern that lives mm-hmm. on Vital Key and the least tern. The least tern, it should be said, nests pretty opportunistically in quarries and elsewhere. Oh. But in this plan, we're just focusing on Sand Key, which mm-hmm. is just a little key off of South Sound. I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. uh, or are familiar with it. Um, and so we have around 230 and upwards adults on, on Sand Key of least turns. Mm-hmm. And the bridal turns is around 50 to 75 adults. It fluctuates. Sometimes they go and, and nest other places too. Um, but that's around where, what we're looking at for those populations in recent years. Yeah. Do they, this might be a silly question. Do they migrate to us at certain, during seasons or are they yeah, always so they're here? Not, they're not always okay. here. They come in and they okay. breed. Yes. Okay. But, but that's a good question because mm-hmm. the brown boobies... They stay around. They're here all around. As do the red-footed and the frigates, mm-hmm. but the white-tailed tropic bird only really come um, in, in at Christmas time, mm. and um, and the terns also come to, to breed, but during the summer. Okay. Okay. Okay, that's good to know, because I don't see them all the time, so I was kind of like, oh. But that, yeah, and, and to be honest, that's one of the things that, that um, usually classifies a seabird, is that they live longer, but they also travel further than most right. other birds. Like albatrosses, I think, yes. is the best-known seabirds. Um, and there's a few species, and, and they can travel up to 75,000 miles a year. Wow. I mean, wow. yeah, it's crazy. And it's crazy to think that some of the birds are coming from different, you know, countries of different conditions to ours, you know? They're already right. so could be negatively impacted coming from a different country than they come to us. And we have to give them a good place to lay their eggs, you <laughs> we know? Do. We like do. a nice little home base. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, Okay, well, all this being said, we have the National Conservation Council. And these are, from what I understand, the people who are kind of putting this proposal together. Is that correct? Could you just tell us a little bit more about that, Tim? And who are they? What is their role in all this? So, yeah, this is, this is quite complicated. So the, yeah. in, 20, in 2013, the National Conservation Act was passed in the Legislative Assembly, or Parliament as it is now. And gradually the parts of the law have been coming into effect. But the... The National Conservation Act allows for the appointment of a National Conservation Council. Okay. And that council has 13 members on it, mm-hmm. and of which five of them are 
statutory appointed, including my, po my post. My role at DOE as Deputy Director is one of those posts. So there's two people from the Department of Environment, which is uh, the Director, and then myself, the Deputy Director. Then there's a representative from Agriculture, a representative from Planning, mm. and a representative from the National Trust. Okay. There are then eight other members that are appointed by cabinet um, from a list and certain criteria. They have to represent the seven or eight geographic districts, including the sister islands. They have to have scientific backgrounds for four of them. Ah. Um, so basically the council's made up of people with relatively strong scientific and conservation credentials. Mm -hmm. uh, and they obviously meet regularly and they are in effect the people that that put the National Conservation Act uh, into the various motions that it needs to, to be. Mm -hmm. And some of that is, of course, of those duties are delegated to the Department of Environment. Mm -hmm. And it's the Department of Environment that's currently leading this drive to put the proposal together I got it. Okay. for the, uh, the seabirds. And that comes actually through Section 17 of the law that mandates that everything that's listed, everything that's protected, mm -hmm. uh, which is listed in Schedule 1, of the National Conservation Law, there are two parts of that part. One, which are species that are protected at all times, mm -hmm. which in fact are the seabirds. They were already protected yes. under the animals law, so by default they moved to part one. So they're protected at all times. And then there's part two species, which uh, aren't protected at all times. So say, for instance, conch, you know, the bag mm -hmm. limits, and they're on part two because you're, there are, you are allowed to take those Seasons. occasionally. Right. So, the law requires that all of the species that are listed on that schedule should have a conservation plan. And I that, see. So this, we're now meeting the requirements. And obviously there are a lot of things on that mm -hmm. list, and so we, we're making our way down it. But we must focus on the priority species. Yeah. And seabirds obviously are a priority species. And so the National Conservation Council uh, is overseeing the process by which this conservation plan, the species conservation plan, is going through the various hoops and hurdles that it has to do under the law. So, right. And we're currently in the middle of that process now with the end of the public consultation. Because nothing is easy, right? Nothing <laughs> no. is easy. Nothing good can happen. And, and the National Conservation Act went to great lengths to make sure that it was really an inclusive, always mm -hmm. sought public consultation. Mm -hmm. You'll, uh, you know, the council has to meet in public, so our general meetings are, are, are held in in view of the public, mm -hmm. um, so that the whole thing is really meant to be very transparent and to seek public input mm -hmm. in very in a, in a lot of the areas that uh, impact the law. So it's quite good in that regard, but it makes it a cumbersome process to navigate. Yeah. And we're going to come back to the public consultation bit because I I think that that's such an important part of conservation because it it can't just be made by the top tier of our you know our. our governing bodies, it has to be I included agree, with yeah, people yeah. living with the animals, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> cool. So we're going to come back to that. But like you mentioned, the birds themselves are actually protected under the National Conservation Act, right? So it's their nesting sites that are at risk, if I'm understanding that correct, right? So what are the threats actually affecting these sites? I think you mentioned mammals and maybe feral cats. Yeah, so, um, so if we're talking just about the land side, al although let's not forget that when the birds are mostly out at sea, obviously everything that is affecting the sea, which is overfishing and mm -hmm. pollution and including also severe weather, so mm. climate change is, is a big problem, um, but also bycatch is a huge issue for mm. seabirds all around the globe. Wow, really? Yeah, in, in fisheries, like commercial fisheries, right? So like they get caught in the nets and they get oh. taken as, as a bycatch. Um, so that's that, I think that's one of the top three threats wow. for seabirds globally is bycatch. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so we have all of these issues at sea, and a lot of the times the birds are not within the Cayman borders, as mm-hmm. it were. We've put trackers on the birds and um, on the red-footed and the frigates, mm-hmm. and we found um, they go to Jamaica. The frigates go all the way to New Orleans, oh, um, down cool. the coast of Mexico. So they, you know, they travel way mm-hmm. beyond what we can protect here. Of course, yeah. So, of course, what we are trying to do is we're trying to protect when the birds are most vulnerable, which is when they come to roost and nest, and yep. they do that um, on land, and that's what we're focusing on mm. in this plan. And so on land, we have um, multiple threats. The highest threat globally to, to seabirds and in the Cayman Islands would be invasive mammals. Yeah. Um, and that we're talking mostly rats and cats here, but it could be dogs, of course, as mm-hmm. well. Um, and reptiles, invasive reptiles. We obviously are very familiar with the green iguana. Mm-hmm. And the green iguana likes to... Uh, go into rock holes and crevices. Um, we haven't recorded egg predation, but it is bound to be happening. I see. Um, okay. Especially as the green iguana population gets more out of control and came in brack as well. Mm. Um, so we have all of the predatory risks. And then, of course, we have general disturbance. And it mm-hmm. could be everything from light pollution to, um, you know, people wanting to go on sand key, kayak to sand key during mm-hmm. nesting season and, and all of these things. Right. Um, habitat loss is a big problem too um, because as well you know, uh, the property prices have gone up mm-hmm. really, really high and, and these areas are usually overlooking the oceans that mm-hmm. the birds like to use and those are, as you know, like the, you know, prime real estate. So we're kind of battling, <sighs> you know, you know some of these big things but it, it really can be done kind of together you know yeah. we don't have to stop development to prevent to protect the seabirds we just have to be mindful about what we're doing and where we're doing it and that's kind of what we're hoping to do with this plan cool now that is interesting right because we have to keep tourism and all that stuff alive but that should not be impacting of course but natural. also there are landowners you know that mm-hmm. are, that have valuable land and we're not trying to take any of that value away mm-hmm. um by any means. So it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, how can we do all of this together? And we, we feel that this, this plan um, is a step in the right direction. That's exciting. That's exciting. I think that's super exciting. So how do you actually survey these seabird species? And how do you get their population <laughs> yeah. numbers? Because I, I had talked to you a little bit about this before, and you were like, oh, this is super exciting stuff that we're doing. <laughs> yes, I, I wanted to mention that, be, um, mainly because you know we, there are so many different types of seabirds, and so therefore their habits and their nesting habits are really quite different as well, which means we have to use very different methodologies. Oh, cool. So for example, the booby pond has arboreal seabirds. Arboreal means they live in the trees and they roost in the trees, which looks, you know, just completely stupid. When you look at their webbed little feet (laughs) trying to grab onto a little branch, Branch. you're like, what are you doing? How is this working for you? Um, But they do, and they have done so successfully for, you know, so many years. And what we've tried to do is uh, do ground surveys as part of a Darwin grant in mm-hmm. 2016 was our first seabird Darwin grant with Liverpool University and Exeter mm-hmm. um, University as well. And uh, we did ground surveys, which was really, really hard going to get behind the booby pond. We're right. thinking we're talking mud, mosquitoes, I mean, yeah. uh, feces, lots of guano. Oh, I think, one guy, I think Fede got hit in the mouth one day. Oh. Like, it was just it's not good. You're looking up, right? You're trying to count these birds. <laughs> Um, it's complicated. So we also uh, ran the drone, and we have a brand new drone now, actually, um, to see if we could actually detect the nests from above. 
and if the birds were going to be scared off, what was mm -hmm. the impact of running a drone. Mm -hmm. So we ran those surveys for that entire Darwin grant. So that was 16 to 18 or 16 to 19. Solid time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, and we found that the drone was indeed, you know, a very, very good way of surveying these arboreal species. Mm -hmm. And now we've got a new drone, which mm -hmm. means we can get a higher resolution image. Oh. We can stitch the images together. We can geo-reference them. So mm -hmm. we can put them in ArcGIS. We know exactly where each nest is. So we get a coordinate as well. Cool. And we can actually tell the species apart. So we can see, oh, that's a frigate bird nest. That's a red-footed booby nest. We do have to count them manually, but it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to sit and do that mm. in the AC with your cup of coffee, looking at your computer screen. <gasps> on your sofa. <laughs> than, than being stuck in the mud and losing your shoes like every half hour. No, that sounds better. <laughs> so, so that has worked really well, and we're still perfecting um, that. And we're going to uh, do another survey in January. January, February is usually when mm -hmm. we go and, <clears throat> and uh, fly, the, fly the booby pond. And we also have actually used drones um, for inaccessible areas like the lighthouse uh, bluff mm -hmm. on the BRAC. So it has been very treacherous and very dangerous for right. us to survey the BRAC booby on foot on the bluff because sometimes they, they nest on the ledges and you have to kind of go out to the edge and look over. Mm -mm. And sometimes, you know, once I looked down and I could see the water between my feet because I was out on a ledge and I didn't know. Oh, no, no. And so I'm like, oh. no, let's let's do this by drone. <laughs> yeah, there, there's got to be a better way to do this. Exactly. Yeah. So so we definitely are using the drone a lot for the brown boobies, but for the uh, brown boobies that nest on the, on the shore and on Long Beach, we have a dedicated team of volunteers on the BRAC that oh, go great. out every week during the breeding season and record if it's a male or female sitting on the nest, mm. is there an egg, when does, it, when, when does the baby fledge? So we do ground and drone for the, for the BRAC brown boobies. Now for the white-tailed tropic birds, that's actually very difficult because they're very elusive. You only ever see them when they come in to, to nest, and you actually yeah. hear them before you see them. Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with what they look like, but they are just these flimsy bits of white long feathers against the clear blue sky or, or a little bit of cloud, I've and never you lose seen track one. of them. Yeah, they're no. beautiful birds. Yeah. Um, but really, you have to sit and watch the cliffside for them to come in, and when you're, if you're lucky, you see them you know, going through the crevices. Oh, and that's wow. the only reason you know there's a nest and you have to catch them right at the right time of day. And so wow. it, it's difficult. And we have um, some really dedicated volunteers. No kidding. <laughs> um, that, that help us on the break. And then we do it ourselves. The DOE does it um, ourselves here on, on Grand Cayman, having uh, a look at, at the nesting population. So it's literally finding the individual nests for the tropic birds. My gosh, that's like a whole thing. It, it is a whole thing. It <laughs> that's is a, whole a lot thing. of manpower. That's a lot of dedication from lots of volunteers. Thank you, guys. But it's so beautiful <laughs> when you do see them. I mean, it really does make up for all of it when, when you do see them. Um, yeah. Especially if they're able to nest successfully. Are you able to um, tell individuals? Or is that almost too much? Well, to they are sight, they have, they're pretty sight um fidelity <laughs> they, they have sight fidelity so they, they like come, to come back they to like the same to come spot. back to the same spot and also because there are so few spots um, on Grand Cayman where mm -hmm. they can nest um, so we assume that those are the same individuals that right. come back year after year that's um, cool and then for the turns we can't really use drones for them because they get really um, wary so they mm. um, they take off when you approach the keys like the sound the sound the uh, even if you approach by on a boat or oh, anything okay. like that yeah they all they all flush 
Um, but we um, we do go onto the keys and we have to look very closely. You can see in the conservation plan, if you get a, a hold of it, there's pictures in there too of all the eggs and everything. Oh, brilliant. Um, the bridal turn nests underneath rock crevices. So even if you had a drone, you wouldn't be able to see it because you have to sort of get down and look under the... Oh under the rock outcrops to even be able to see the eggs that are also very well camouflaged. Right, of course, good. So yeah. so, so it's a thing for the turns. You have to kind of be there in person. Wow. Um, and we go and, and do maybe a 20-minute survey to ensure that the eggs don't overheat or if they're chicks, they don't over- overheat so we can go and, you know, mm-hmm. be efficient, get out of there, minimal disturbance, mm-hmm. and, and then we have the number within... We can do vital key in half a day and sand key in half a day. So that's once a year. So that's mm. not too bad. That's not too bad. No. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll be harder because there'll be more of them yeah, <laughs> in true. the future, right? Hopefully <laughs> you'll be like, no, I had to take a week or something. <laughs> but um, Okay, well, these nest- nesting sites are then just critical for them, right? So Exactly. W- where are you actually hoping to protect with this? I know we have habitat in the Booby Pond Nature Reserve in Little Cayman. Is that all that's actually currently protected, or are there more? And what else are you trying to protect? Well, I can take that one. So yeah. the um, when the Booby Pond in Little Cayman is currently a protected site yeah. uh, under the National Conservation Act, it was actually passed over as an animal sanctuary. Oh, brilliant. And under the law, that, uh, that stayed in effect. So Booby Pond is protected, and I believe then the National Trust owns uh, to the north, and there, that's protected under the National Trust's law mm-hmm. or act as, as they are now. Um, the rest of the sites uh, are, and I think Jane will be able to uh, elaborate on where they are because mm-hmm. it's, it's quite difficult to describe without looking at a map. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they will become critical habitat, and you use that term, and that's defined in the law. And that is, in effect, a protected area as well, and it allows the, the similar kind of leverage that the National Conservation Act can bring to a protected area uh, onto the critical habitat of these species. So that's actually a technical term in the critical law. Critical habitat. Critical habitat, oh, Okay. Yeah. Instead and of just protected it, area. It's, right. it's, it's a confusing term because a lot of people think, you know, the critical habitat of the bird is like obviously the sea, everything. But yeah. it's actually, it's, it needs to be, it's really very closely defined. It's a very, it's an area that the, the bird needs that is critical to its survival. Like, so yeah. it's not the entire habitat or anything like that. So it's really a very close, closely defined thing. And you obviously need to look at maps and, and the various criteria that are used to describe it in order to see them. But that then becomes the protected area for that bird. I gotcha. But the national, uh, the booby pond is an entire protected area on its own. So okay. it has seabirds in it. So the, the necessity for critical habitat is slightly less because the area is already protected. And, and vital key is protected Vital key also, well. that's right, yeah. Oh, and that's, yeah. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know all this jargon. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of jargon, and it's a lot to get your head around, but it, it, it you know, it, it looks like it's working as a process for us at the moment. So. I, I think it's also worth to maybe mention that it's not all species that lend themselves to critical habitat. Mm. When you have a species that is very widespread, and you can find it in West Bay as well mm-hmm. as in Bodentown and East End, those kinds of species don't lend themselves well to the protection of critical habitat one area in effect yeah. the whole island is there critical exactly. habitat if right. they're endemic and found nowhere else right yeah so at the moment the other critical habitat that exists through an interim directive is for sea turtles so part, any of the beaches on the cayman islands that have a certain threshold of nesting we've managed to define that as critical habitat obviously that's critical to the survival of the species because the turtles need that specific area so right. that's quite easy to define and so a lot of the beaches around the island are defined as critical habitat 
And that's right. important because it then allows the National Conservation Council in its consultation with other agencies that are giving permission for various things, you know, planning department um, and any other activities that are taking place that you need to consult with the council to, mm-hmm. you know, before permission is given. Mm-hmm. And in that review, we are able to, um, to, if it's a critical habitat, to have a little bit more weight. Usually the council would make recommendations, mm-hmm. but in cases where they're critical habitat, they're able to direct which is, i.e., this is what will happen rather than this is what should happen. I see. <laughs> so it is an, it's very important. That piece. is very important because then you're controlling the situation, right? Rather exactly. than. I wish we could just make the whole island critical habitat. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be sublime? A few people may raise eyebrows at that one. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Maybe I'm a dreamer. But um, so, what areas beyond the ones that we have are we hoping to make critical? I'm going to let Jane answer that because okay. she's been working very closely with this. Yeah, so it's um, if anyone is listening and and you want to have a look at these maps, it just mm-hmm. makes more sense to look at the maps because it's yeah. you know I'm going to include them in the show notes for sure. Yeah, so if you go on conservation.ky, mm-hmm. which is the National Conservation Council's website, mm-hmm. there is a protected area and protected species, and mm-hmm. if you click on protected species, you'll get to the seabird conservation plan. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a landowners FAQ. There's mm-hmm. a white-tailed tropic bird report. Um, there's various resources in there that will hopefully help answer any questions that, that people may have. Um, but if you have any questions mm-hmm. that is not answered or you want to talk about this plan, do feel free to reach out, of course, to right. us at the, at the department. Um, but if you go on that plan, you'll see the, the maps outlined there for the critical habitat delineations. Um, and I believe the first one is the brown booby um, critical habitat, and that's on page nine at the bottom. You'll see uh, there's a, a red line, which is a 50-foot uh, buffer, which basically runs from the edge of the bluff and inland. Okay. Okay, so like if you if you are familiar with the BRAC, you know there's the lighthouse trail. Yep. And so it's pretty much on the right-hand side of that lighthouse trail as you're heading towards Peter's Cave, for example. Okay. And so it runs from pretty much where the trail goes off to Peter's Cave, back to the lighthouse, around the tip of the bluff, and down to the south, pretty much to where Great Cave is. Oh, great. Right. Awesome. So that's that's that for the, um, and then Long Beach as well for mm-hmm. the browns. Mm-hmm. Now the brack boobies, um, the brown boobies also nest on the south coast. But the numbers have been dwindling so much, and it's in areas you know people are developing, and there are so many cats, mm. um, and so we have not included any of the south coast stretch mm-hmm. in this plan. Um, so that's that for the brown boobies, and then when you look at, I think it's yeah, page number twelve of the seabird conservation plan, you'll see what uh, is delineated as critical habitat for the white-tailed tropic birds. Mm-hmm. And that has a, a map both of Cayman Brack at the top and of um, Grand Cayman at the bottom. And so pretty similar to the Brack boobies, it's that bluff side, but mm-hmm. further down the island. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's not kind of out towards the sea, it's that, you know, how do you call it, like that half bluff, you know, where you have land at the bottom and mm-hmm. then, so both north and south coast. Okay. Because that's where um, the majority of the white-tailed tropic bird nests are. It is not where all of them are. We do have tropic bird nests all along that stretch of, of coastline on both the north and the south, but we just, you know, cannot protect all of that. You know, no. it's not yeah. it's not feasible and it's not doable, it's not realistic. Yeah. So yeah. what we are trying to do here is exactly what Tim was saying. You know, there's a threshold of nests mm-hmm. um, and we're trying to look at really what is critical um, to these birds for the future. So it's not all of them, and it, it is specified in the plan where other nests are yeah. as well. 
Oh, great. And um, and then on the on Grand Cayman, we're talking about that area around Pedras and James. Yes. Where we have the only bluff in yeah, Grand Cayman. Yeah, in Grand Cayman. <laughs> um, and slightly to the east of that site as well. So this is where the the five to fifteen birds have mm-hmm. been seen over the years, um, and and really is is critical to any long term sustainable population right. of white-tailed tropic birds on Grand Cayman. So when you say buffer, you said fifty meter buffer. Does that what is that in terms of development area that you cannot develop? Yes, yeah, so it's fifty feet. Fifty feet. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. And uh, it goes. It runs from the edge. Yes. So literally from the physical edge of the bluff and mm-hmm. inland. Okay. And the reason is that a lot of the birds, also the white-tailed tripe birds, will nest in the crevices in the karst. Okay. Um, so you'll so you'll literally find them um, in little tiny holes uh, down in there. I and see. And you are correct. So in within that critical habitat, there are certain rules, and mm-hmm. all the rules are la- outlined after each um, yeah. species map. Um, and primarily, it is not to bulldoze the karst. I mean, that's okay. really and mm-hmm. not to disturb the vegetation. Right. Um, so that's it's pretty much kind of a leave it alone uh, zone. Right. Exactly. As it should be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you should really develop all the way to the edge. Of the I mean, you might be you might not want that. Going for a jump, really, if you do that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I think that is it is really critical to kind of you know even for the aesthetics of of the islands and and the country yeah. you know too because it is just such a spectacular landscape it's and beautiful. certainly if I was a landowner I would love to see it in its natural of beauty course. than than trying to uh, to bulldoze it. Brack needs protection. <laughs> I fully believe <laughs> Brack needs all the protection we can give it. So this. Is that is that is that all the spaces? That's all the habitats. Um, let me just have a quick look. No, so, sure. so there is there is the keys as well, right? But okay. um, but Sankey, I believe, is in the process of being gazetted as a protected oh, okay. area. Um, and so we have a, a, a red sort of uh, circle around sand key, mostly because it is a sand key. Right, and exactly. And it moves, moves um, yeah. all the time. Um, so it's kind of a diameter that, cool. that we have delineated. And then Vital Key off of the coast of Barkers um, is already a protected area, but we're also designating it as a, a critical Critical. Yes. I got you. Okay, now I'm understanding the, the, the protected <laughs> and the critical talk here. That makes so much sense. So this is all wonderful. And we really need to get it in place. And right now it's called proposed, right? Um, it's the proposed plan. And I guess my question is, so I just came from COP and there's lots of promises made. And I'm not saying you guys aren't going to keep your promises, right? I just want to know, does that mean that this is a draft of a plan? And if so, how long do you expect it will take for this actual plan to be put into place? And do you think the species will actually have enough time for that? So the National Conservation Act is very... Uh very prescriptive in the mm-hmm. process that we must follow to do this. Yeah. Um, and we're on that process now. So the, the very first time, basically, the council decided that yeah, we were going to make this proposal. We've written it. We've taken it to the council. We've now gone out to public consultation. The law requires that you must let the public know that we're doing this. You must publish two adverts in the newspaper, in local newspapers, stating what species you're working, what we're trying to do, okay. tell people where you can find copies of the plan. Mm-hmm. Typically, as Jane mentioned, the website, conservation.ky, but we have them in the office. Um, and then the public are given, a, uh, I think then, uh, I've gone blank on how long, but uh, there's a, a period of time, yeah. which we actually ended up extending. You did, to so, November 11th, right? Yeah, so yeah. We, we keep we kept that process going so that we could really make sure that this plan had been completely reviewed by public. The public are invited to make comments any way they like, email us. We've also conducted an online survey just to see how people felt about the whole business. 
Um, and these cool. are all the requirements uh, under the law, perhaps not the survey, but at least they really make sure that you go to the public to get the input. Great. The, the public consultation now closed, but and the, the council now has 28 days to review those um, comments to make any changes or recommendations that they feel may be necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so we will update the plan to make sure we, we take those into account. And of course, any objections, we need to list all of those as well. Right. Once that's done, and it goes back, it goes up to the Ministry for Environment, uh, which is actually um, where they put the, the kind of paper together. Right, right, right. And then that goes to Cabinet. Okay. okay. That obviously can sometimes take time, but in yeah. order to uh, to safeguard this process, there is in fact a 60-day limit. So from the day that the, 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 the recommendation to adopt the plan is made to uh, to the ministry and on to cabinet, the cabinet has 60 days to, uh -huh. to either say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Okay, if they choose not to say anything, the council is able to put the plan into effect. So it's like kind that. of yeah, it, it's a kind of a safeguard to <laughs> yeah. make sure. Basically, if we hear nothing from from the uh, from the cabinet, the plan can come into effect uh, by being gazetted a public notice to say it's come into effect. So there is a mechanism now. Of course, cabinet has sixty days. They could come back and having looked at the plan, seen the objections, seen the comments, seen the recommendations, they need to state reasons why it should not come into effect. Okay. So they need to be clear about that. It's not just a blanket, no, it can't come. There needs to be good reasons. and solid reasons why. And obviously that can happen. So mm -hmm. we're not at that point yet, but mm -hmm. that, that would be the, typically the next potential delay if okay. there was to be one. Okay. So that's really good to know because yeah. it's such a process and sometimes as somebody just living and watching it happen, you just feel kind of helpless and not understanding where the time limits are, especially if you're a bird lover, right? Like I'm slowly becoming a bird lover. I've never not liked birds, but I'm slowly starting to really just understand and appreciate them. And I'm like, oh my God, this needs to happen like yesterday. So it's really good to know that there's, that's the process and that they actually have safeguards in. Yeah, it does. I mean, but obviously, if count, if the cabinet have issues or want want to address some of the objections, yeah, there is you know that mechanism is built in there. So. Right, brilliant. Yeah. So, in terms of that consultation, are you able to share anything that you found from the public consultation? Any of the findings? We should also mention that we had public meetings. Oh, so, yeah. Good point. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, three public meetings. Okay. Uh, the yeah. first on November first with these um, climbers of Cayman Brag with the climbing community. So as oh, a separate brilliant. stakeholder engagement. Um, and then we had a meeting in Cayman Brack, a public mm -hmm. meeting on the 7th of November uh, by the Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And then again, on the 8th of November, the following day, we had a public meeting at Pedro. Um, and brilliant. we had a pretty good turnout, more people on Cayman Brack um, yeah. than, than on Grand. So that was interesting. And uh, I think we had 117 responses to the public consultation online. Great. And primarily, they've been positive responses. Mm -hmm. um, the most negative responses have been landowners that mm -hmm. have been worried that we're going to take people's land away, right. that we're going to dictate X, Y, and Z. Um, and so we've really tried to, we put together a landowner uh, FAQ. I saw that, Which yes. is on the uh, conservation.ky too. Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of settle, you know, the alarm bells really mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Um, just you know, trying to explain what the process is and and everything else. So, so I think um, overall it has been very like like yourself. There's a lot of young people now mm. that are that are starting to see, yeah. you know, the the big picture and and what's happening to our islands. And and so I think a lot of those have been very vocal. And so I overall see. we had a very positive response. Good. And um and the individual landowners that have contacted us, we've done everything in our power to engage and 
and give the information in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's anyone out there listening mm -hmm. and that have questions mm -hmm. and concerns, please do feel free to reach out to us mm -hmm. um, because this, you know, cannot happen without, without. public buy-in and without, you know, the public public being on board. Of course. Nor would we want it to, you know, yeah. you, you can't save what you don't love. So <laughs> that's exactly it. You have to protect what you love. Right. right? And you can't care if you don't know about Maybe issues like true. this. I really do fully believe that. So I guess my last kind of question is, well, last ish question. Um, how can the public help with this beyond a public consultation? Is there any way other well, than volunteering? We, we actually yeah. we had a little conversation about it, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, the public can be involved in so many ways. I mean, okay. First of all, just getting to know that the fact that the plan exists. Yes, and right. And learning about it and so that you know the rules and regulations yourself. Yeah. But then there are plenty of things that obviously the, the plan sets out some of the conditions that should be met if these things come into effect. So abiding by the law will be a big part. But then simple things like, uh, well, A, just appreciating, getting to know what's out there. Go and see these birds. I think, mm. you know, bird watching, you mentioned how spectacular it is. It, it, it is very impressive to see these species. And then obvious things like getting your cat, keeping your cat indoors at night, right. keeping your dog on a leash, staying away from the nests, abiding yeah. by the rules. Um, and I think there's probably quite a lot more that they can do as well. Yeah, I, I want to just mention um, just for the keys, because when the, they obviously they don't nest all at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but it is important that between May 1st and August 31st that you stay off of Sand Key and pretty much the same months um, off of Vital Key. Uh, okay. One month less, so May 1st to July 31st, because that's when the birds are nesting. Right. So that's, um, you know, it's not, this plan has not come into effect now. So this is a, a strong recommendation from the department. Of course. You know, not to um, disturb these birds when they are nesting, nesting. at this point, because they are protected at, at all times. Right. Um, so t I think take under the law is disturb, yeah. harass, and all of that. So so um, just, just to be mindful, because we all like to kayak, we all like to get out. Um, and you can still do that, just don't set foot on those uh, keys during those three and four months. Just three to four months. <laughs> yeah. That's all we're asking for. <laughs> exactly. It's not that much, right? Um, but I think, too, uh, I mean, there, social media is so big these days, and, and people really do appreciate, you know, good photos, beautiful mm. footage. And so if you are out there and you are doing birding, you know, spread the word and, and yeah. let people experience it. Not everyone has the fortune and good health to be able to go out and, mm -hmm. and see these birds and experience it for, the, for themselves. So it's, it's something we can really share, you yeah. know, the passion and through our social media, through uh, word of mouth and hundred yeah. percent. So my last question was, do you think we'll we'll get to this in a timely manner that we can save the species? But to me, I kind of feel positive that we will. <laughs> I kind of don't even need to ask you that question because it seems like you both seem very positive about that, right? Well, I feel optimistic about the yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, that, if that goes through, that would be fantastic. Another, but I do think there are still, you know, as, as Jane mentioned, there's regional and global issues that yes. still remain at large and we, these species need to be considered uh, you know management as a regional species regional, rather right. than you know we make it great here but then they fly off and into trouble in other areas so there are conservation there are um, multilateral environmental agreements that tried to deal with that and came in signatory to some of those okay so that you know they there are there are regional bodies looking at this so I'm optimistic that that we can make a difference and i think you know that we've caught the problem uh, early enough that there potentially there's still a chance to change. And we've had some good luck stories you know, or some, some good news stories in Cayman in the past. And we have, I'm yeah. hoping this is going to become one of them as well. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess once this has gone through, it's a matter of then stretching our outreach to everybody saying, this is what we did. What are you going to do? And kind of sticking our tentacles everywhere and getting everybody to hold on until we can all work together to make this 
a big solution for everyone, right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. That's it. I'm out of questions. Do you have any questions for me? No? You don't have yeah. to. No? Fantastic. <laughs> so thank you. I'm going to post all those resources under the show notes and links to all the websites, to all the papers, to everything, so that you guys listening out there can really dig into what they provide, because there's so many resources. It's absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and for and for just spreading your passion and everything, your knowledge and your optimism. It's very, I'm very grateful for it. Well, thanks so much for having us. It's been really great. Yes, thank you. And to people listening, thanks so much. And of course, you can always reach out to the Department of Environment directly for any other elements. It doesn't have to be about seabirds, anything to do with conservation that you're interested in. DOE at gov.ky. Perfect. And that's it. I feel very, I feel like I've been taught a lot of things today. It's so insightful and I'm rather hopeful we can make a difference. So thank you again to DMS Broadcasting and to Bobo 89.1 FM and to our silent sponsors and my pal Ryan Kirkaldi from Retrospect Media, who's capturing all of this for you. Check out our filmed episodes over on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Protecting Paradise KY. Also make sure to follow the DOE on all their socials at DOE Man for updates on this project. And you cannot care unless you know. So thanks so much for joining us. And remember, we're always open to your opinions and to your topic suggestions. So don't be shy and send them in. And we'll see you next week. Toodles!